all the leaves are brown and the skies are grey. And we're back for season two of Somewhere to Believe in, the podcast brought to you by Greenbelt Festival. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Paul. So I'm going to get straight in there. I know that what we're all anxious to know is how is that knitting coming on? I think I've got um, a repetitive knitting injury. I don't know whether that can happen. RKI. Yeah, I don't know whether it's a thing. I've had to take a little break because both my arms really hurt. I feel like I've pulled both of them. I'm sure it's a thing. I'm sure it's a thing. There was no warning on the knitting kit when I got it. What, not even may contain nuts? (laughs) May turn you into a nut. May turn you into a nut. So your knitting's taken a little bit of a pause, so you haven't yet completed that jumper. No, and it's so close. I think I only have about half an hour's work to do on it, and then I would have a jumper. But yeah, I just can't do it. But, you know, you need to be careful of those repetitive knitting injuries. They can they can develop into long-term problems if, you, if you're not careful. So I've heard. <laughs> Have you heard? Well, my grandma had really bad arthritis in her, in her fingers, but I don't know if that so was a result mine, of too much knitting. Actually. Yeah, yeah. And she was always clickety-clacketing, clickety-clacketing, if that is a verb. Everything in moderation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's very, very wise words, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs> I also had a very interesting dream about Boris Johnson last night. Catherine, you're dreaming about Boris Johnson? Yeah. Is it the sort of dream you can tell us about? It is. Okay. Um, So I dreamt that I flicked an elastic band at his face um, when I was passing him in the street and got arrested. And then on my trial, I tried to go for a plea of self-defence. Now that is getting quite (laughs) macro. Tell us about this. So uh, it was, and I think it, it was around the idea that even though I flicked an elastic band at him that didn't do a lot of damage, but I guess that's like a violent act, whether his actions, especially around the pandemic or around people in poverty, my actions were justified. That was my dream. There's a lot of philosophy in that dream, Catherine. I mean... I dream big. You dream big. <laughs> I think you're dreaming a bit too much if you're having that sort of dream, Catherine. I think you need to tie yourself out more. And what better way to tie yourself out in the run up to Christmas than shop for 24 hours a day? Yep. The um, government has announced that for shops to recuperate some of the costs that they've lost during the pandemic, that they are able to be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week through December and January, if they choose to. So we've just had Black Friday and now there's a little lull while we get lockdown out of the way and then we'll just be able to absolutely cane that desire that we all have to shop until we drop. If shops start selling alcohol, then this could be brilliant. Shops could turn into the new nightlife. Yeah, I could meet up with all my friends at the shops. We could all we could all pick a shop and a time and we could have like a bit of a impromptu rave or something in there. The opportunities are, are out there now. I've got images sort of from American films from the 70s and 80s of people congregating at the mall. Yeah, maybe it's going to come back. And the high street, maybe this will save the high street. 
And for all those millions of people with huge financial anxieties or who have been tipped over into poverty during this year as a result of the pandemic, then the idea of shopping till you drop is a little bit problematic, I'm guessing. Yeah. As if Christmas doesn't have enough pressures of its own already. Well, what do you think this Christmas could be about? Because you're right, like the idea of buying lots of presents, especially because we're not doing anything and we just sat around our houses surrounded by stuff that we've already bought. How could this Christmas be different? Well, I think if the emphasis could come off the stuff a little bit more, you know, the best things in life aren't things, as that famous fridge magnet goes, I think that would be a good thing. And I guess the opportunity to meet up with a few more people at Christmas is going to reinforce that thing that perhaps most of us have missed, and that is human contact with um, a wider pool of people than we've been able to associate with. Yeah, I really miss human interaction now. I've, I've had more human interaction from a television, so I don't know how that might have affected or changed my behaviour. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? I find myself even looking forward to charades. Interesting reports out uh, this week about the way that the pandemic has pushed loads more people into poverty during this year. A uh, big report out today saying that 700,000 more people now are officially living in poverty than were when the pandemic hit and when we first went into lockdown back at the beginning of the year. And a lot of that, uh, a high proportion of that number are children as well. So it's quite a worrying and a shocking statistic. That is a shocking statistic, but almost not surprising because I feel like we've had warning signs about the amount of people in poverty in the UK for quite a while. Like, this isn't a new thing. I think there's about 14 million people that are classed as living in poverty in the UK, which is massive considering we're the fifth or I think maybe the sixth richest economy in the world. Yeah, we're slipping down that table all the time, I guess, but... Like you say, the point is that we we should have the wealth to look after people, and it doesn't seem doesn't seem like we we do. We do. There is wealth. Like we have like three million millionaires. We have like eighty billionaires in the UK. There's wealth. All right. <laughs> I know. I was. I was. <laughs> I was just putting it out there, Catherine. You're right. There, you're right. We 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 must. We must be able to do this sort of stuff to look after people who who do not have the means to get the basic necessities that they need to live um, live life. You know, food and heating. I think there should be a limit on the amount of like. I think when somebody reaches maybe like five million. You know, maybe even 10, maybe when their personal wealth gets to 10 million, they get a certificate saying, well done, you've won capitalism. Now, don't earn any more money. Go and enjoy your life. And that should be that should be the limit. That's a really interesting idea, because I guess that should be enough, shouldn't it? That should be enough. And, you know, maybe they can go and live, go and live on Richard Brunson's island if you want. Maybe that's like that's the final level Like, go and live on Richard Branson's island. Go and live on Johnny Depp's island. Go and have a little paradise. You've done really well. You've worked really hard, maybe. But leave the rest of us to have the rest of the money. (laughs) That's an interesting idea. That idea of um, enough is is quite... It doesn't quite marry up with the sort of the capitalist model that we've got, have we? Because I guess that's designed for people to... 
um, accumulate more and more and more. But what you're saying is, why don't you just stop when you've got enough and when is enough? Those, those are really interesting questions. Well, I think the reason why people think that, I mean, there is obviously a, like a limit to the amount of money that you can spend in your own lifetime. But I think people really like the idea that they can amass wealth for their families for years and years and years and years and years. That should be stopped, shouldn't it? When has that when has that ever done any good? <laughs> I, I don't know really what I think about this, Catherine, but some people who are incredibly wealthy, I'm thinking of Bill Gates, Bill and Melissa Gates. They've you know they've set up a foundation and they've ploughed millions and billions of dollars into um, global health vaccinations, malaria and treatments, malaria nets, all that all that sort of stuff. Is that not a good result of them amassing absolutely? heap loads of wealth i don't know I'd, maybe but it's, it's interesting and just i mean i'm very attracted to and interested in the idea of a universal basic income and i think that that's an idea that has really come back up into conversation over this year of the pandemic is wondering you know what would it what would it look like if we all had the same amount to begin with and then it was you know obviously different people would choose to do different things in addition to that but that's at one end the ubi and at the other end you're saying could there perhaps be like a just a cap on the amount that you're about to earn and then you just stop you've won i guess like you're dipping into communism and like i don't know that can go wrong as well can't it Anyway, I think that we've uh, nattered enough. I think that uh, I'm very, very excited about who we're talking to today, Catherine. Um, and I really have to say a huge thank you to you for introducing uh, this act to the festival. Tell us a little bit more about who we're going to speak to today. We're going to speak to the band Dream Nails, who are a um, bunch of queer feminist witch punks from London or live in London now. Um and they've been to the Greenbelt twice now. One time they actually took over and programmed one of our venues for the day. And they uh, brought in a rule that throughout all that day, it was women and non-binary people to the front. They also focused their program around um, women, non-binary people and people of colour. Uh, and they're just great human beings. They're just brilliant. That's... When I imagine how I would love the music scene to be in my own world, it would be full of bands like Dream Nails. So welcome, Dream Nails. Um, do you want to just quickly introduce yourself? Sure. You. Yeah, you go on, Mimi, you go first. <laughs> I'm Mimi and I play bass in Dream Nails. And I'm Lucy and I play drums. And for people who don't know Dream Nails, we are a queer feminist punk band made up of four punk witches from London. And it's really nice to be here. Thank you for asking us. It's lovely to have you. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. I know Paul's been really excited about this one. I am. I am. <laughs> hey, um, thank you for joining us. Where are, we, where are we speaking to you? Where are you joining us from today? Well, I'm in my bedroom in Hackney in East London. Of course, we're all in our bedrooms. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm in my house in southeast London. So you have brought out, I mean, it seems like brilliant timing, but you came out this September with your first debut album called Dream Nails uh, in the midst of this whole pandemic. How was that for you? 
Oh, it was. I mean, it was a long time coming because we recorded the album last summer, summer 2019. And then we were due to release it in April, but inevitably everything got delayed. But, you know, like with a lot of things, it turned out, I think, to be a happy accident because at the point that it was released right at the end of August, it felt like it was the jolt of energy that definitely we needed. And I think a lot of our fans needed as well. Um so yeah, I think in the end it was it was perfect timing to see us see us into autumn. Yeah, I I think um at the time when we postponed the album release till September, we thought oh everything will be back to normal by September. So I'm glad we didn't put it off any further. It was like yeah, like Lucy said a blessing in disguise as well because we had um a lot more time to like make more videos we made two more music videos for the album and just do fun stuff like that we had a guitar painted and like gave it away did a giveaway and stuff yeah it just meant that we could be creative in other ways and i think make it more of a gift to fans and more of like an intimate personal thing because we're such a lot i mean all bands are live bands but we're such a live band and touring and playing live is so important to us but Part of the the thing we were a bit trepidatious about with the album was how we were going to translate the energy of our live shows onto a recording. But I think that, you know, make it a more intimate listening experience. But because of the fact that we're all having intimate listening experiences, none of us are seeing live music. It actually made, meant that we could focus on these like nice little gifts and presents to our fans, like the guitar Mimi mentioned, and just like being much more interactive with our fan base, which is really important to us. Yeah, we were talking about that just before you guys came on. Like, you are such a live band, and it's so much about that live performance and the space that you make. Um, what's it been like not being able to to perform live in front of the the people that you do? Well, it's definitely been hard. We're I know everyone was looking forward to like the summer, like festivals and everything like that, and after it kind of set in we've just been doing live well we've done one live stream show and we have another one planned for december 6th which we've named feminismus um but yeah we've tried to channel like our live show energy into that um we created like what's what we call gig in a boxes so if you buy a ticket a gig in a box ticket we have like a specially curated box that we send to your house that's full of gig essentials um, to just try and recreate the live experience. The last gig in a box we did, um, we included like a venue sticky floor tile to stand on. <laughs> that Mimi made in her house. Yeah. You have to explain. You have to explain <laughs> it now. You can't just drop that bomb in there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What was it? We got. I got like vinyl pieces and then like sprayed glue on them and like dried them outside. Yeah, it was this whole thing. But we consulted a surface designer to actually make this happen. Yeah. <laughs> that was her advice. We like sprinkled dust and yeah, like we sprin- wanted to put chewing gum. Like, who thought we'd be lusting after the disgusting surfaces surfaces of a of a DIY venue? But we all are apparently. <laughs> I love that. That's brilliant. There's there's something really important about the space. You are a band, obviously, but there you're you're kind of more. You're like a a movement or a collective, or you're trying to create something, a space with your music which seems really really 
I mean, is that important for you? Absolutely. I mean, like, I mean, it's so central to how we operate on every level from uh, putting on live shows. I mean, like all of the venues that we go to, uh, and this is something that we are doing for our headline tour when it finally happens. We're making sure that all of the venues get good night out training, um, which is this amazing organization um, that ensure that all the staff at venues are trained on how to make their spaces safe and accessible, everything from gender neutral toilets to making sure that security staff are trained on how appropriately to deal with anything that might go wrong during the night. Because um, I think that at the center of everything we do is about a place being safe for everybody to just absolutely go as crazy as they want to um, in a world and in a music scene where often our primary fan base, which is women and non-binary people, don't get the opportunity and often feel inhibited in live shows. And actually, that's one of the reasons we love Nan Greenbelt so much, because <laughs> you seem to put that at the forefront of how you organise your spaces as well. Well, that's very kind of you to say that. I it's think true. That we, I mean, we're only more aware of doing that because of people like you and the work that you're doing. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's so important for you to be changing the scene through what you're doing. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that um, women and non-binary people to the front that that sort of that call out that you you make at the at the start of your gigs you know for an old bloke who's been going to gigs most of his life what, <laughs> and, and just taking things for granted what what's that about what's that um, call about well I think gig spaces are generally male dominated um and we all like grew up going to gigs and we've all had experiences like being groped or not being able to, well, I don't, I can always see cause I'm really tall, but <laughs> <laughs> um, it's definitely like important to disrupt that kind of space and question why do you never see women and non-binary people at the front of gigs? Um, and it's not like, we have anything against men coming to the gigs. We just want them to kind of take a step back and be a good ally and allow space to be occupied by women and non-binary people for literally 45 minutes and watch. And it's, it is like a beautiful thing. I've actually never really seen it. Like the first time I saw it was at a Dreamnails gig and I was like, what am I seeing? This is amazing. Um, but yeah, I just think it's really important for us to basically have like a space to yeah just dance without fear and like we're we're singing all these songs about like yeah I don't know like reproductive justice and stuff like it would just be so lame to just not have them there with us and it's so amazing every time we play and so women and non-binary people to the front it comes from the right girl movement I guess in the early 90s in the states where they always said girls to the front Obviously, we owe a lot to that movement. We love that movement. We understand that they didn't really do enough in terms of intersectional feminism. Um, so it's kind of like a throwback to that that we've we've built upon. But it's just so amazing every time we play, just seeing the moment where all of a sudden the people who normally are like shunned physically, like don't have as much space at gigs, realize that this is their moment. This is their time. Um, and maybe can you say about the um the immune system 
oh. analogy, which is very topical. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think it was, it was, a, we played a gig in Bristol once and there was one guy who wouldn't move. Like he just wouldn't listen. So we took off our instruments and we're like, okay, we're literally not going to play until you move. And then everyone kind of just like grouped together and our, our singer Janie described it as a like watching an, a human immune system and we just watched him kind of like be pushed out and we could see all the way to the end like where the door was and he was just kind of like pushed out of the door and everyone celebrated and then we just kept playing <laughs> but it, that poor, was guy. A <laughs> poor guy well not really but I mean that's a particularly adversarial example but normally the, the men that come to our shows they love being given the opportunity to take a step back and just enjoy like they get to, to have all the benefits of a dream now show they just enjoy it from the back and 99 percent of the time um apparently the men at the back form their own little community form their own little gang <laughs> and just like love being able to give this one you know to show this one act of allyship and just give the space to their sisters um but it is funny how sometimes men come up to us afterwards and they just say I've been I've never felt like that before I've never felt like that before and it's just kind of interesting to replicate um this you know this thing that never gets to normally happen in everyday life in terms of all public spaces being male dominated but um it's it normally goes off fine but sometimes the little germ has to be uh <laughs> immune systems out of there <laughs> You know, it's it's really odd because obviously we asked you a couple of years ago to come to Greenbelt and to take over one of our venues. And one of the rules that you put in place in that venues was this girls to the front, women and non-binary folk to the front. And I had trepidations about it. I, I, I wasn't sure how that would work or really sure how I felt about it. And I grew up going, I go to gigs, I go to a lot of rock gigs, punk gigs. And... um two things happened just before the festival one is that I went to a rock gig and I was at the front and I got a man's hands all over me and mm -hmm. I didn't have anything to do because there was no security around so it was either leave or like you know take matters into my own hands and then the next thing that happened was me seeing that space that you created the gig completely transforms it kind of blew apart my idea of what a gig could look like like it didn't have to be people punching into you all the time it didn't have to be like this kind of aggressive violent place it can be but there was yeah. women at the front dancing with space together giving each each other respect there was young girls at the front of your gigs and yeah, i was little just ones, proper yeah, little, ones. Yeah. little girls that were just looking up at you and enjoying your music and i just thought I didn't even realise there was a problem with those gig spaces that I had always inhabited until I saw, like, somebody showing me a difference. Exactly. I thought it was wonderful. Oh, that's so nice. I mean, it just shows how used to it we all are. I mean, I didn't either until I started playing in Dream Nails. Like, I didn't grow up listening to a lot of punk and rock. I wasn't exposed to Riot Girl. But um, it's only when you carve out, I guess it's kind of what you're saying about a movement, it's only when you carve out that space or something different happens that you realise, oh my God, how was I putting up with it for so many years? Yeah. <laughs> and where do you think the, I guess it takes a certain amount of, having the idea and the philosophy, the ethos, the vision of that's what you want to do is one thing, but then having the sort of the creative energy and the bravery to actually put that into practice Mm -hmm. is perhaps another thing or an extra thing and I'm wondering is the fact that 
most of you seem to come from a long activist background of disrupting spaces, of challenging the status quo. Has that built in you a strength and a resilience, perhaps, that enabled you to go, do you know what, we are going to do this differently. If we're going to do this band thing, we're going to do it differently. Does that strength come from your activist sort of experience? Oh, my God, absolutely. Like, we're all, like, we're very proud of our musicianship. Um and we we make bangers, <laughs> but our music is a vehicle for our politics. It would it would not exist without it. I mean, I don't know, Mimi, do you want to say anything else on that? I, when when I got on stage, when we were doing, I was like, oh my god, we're doing this. Oh my god, we can do this. There's nothing stopping <laughs> us doing this. We can do this. <laughs> this is our stage, and it's like I'm sure other people are like afraid to do it because they don't want to be harassed. But actually, like it's your stage, you could do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the band was founded on uh, the, our two members that aren't here, Anya and Janie. They met um, because of their participation in Sisters Uncut, um, which is a feminist direct action group that still do amazing work. So, yeah, I mean, the politics came before the music in a way. Um, but I think that's that's definitely how we like we try and approach our lives generally is just sort of be disruptive and be creative um uh you know in order to challenge things we know that music alone isn't gonna create social change but it it creates the idea and it creates the space um for people to think that they can do something and make a difference is really really joyful and also really rage fueled at the same time it's like a really lovely um mixture of those two things can you tell me a little bit about what you're trying to do with your music you know there's there's a little bit of like violent a retort to the stuff that's going on so you know in your songs payback you talk about like that you know we're going to we're going to pay you back we're going to come and get you and there's something that seems really liberating for a group of women and non-binary people to be in a space like shouting those chants yeah i mean we're not trying to incite violence by any means <laughs> but i think it's just i mean it's just a testament to the fact that when we when we pay, play those songs especially um payback which we always um uh what's the word i'm looking for dedicate what? dedicate <laughs> we always dedicate to the women every week that are killed by at the hands of a partner or ex-partner and every show people come up to us and they thank us and they say that they've never ever heard that they've never ever heard anybody sing about that so it's it's more of just a it's a cathartic release um it's a battle cry it's just a way of asserting um you know asserting in music and now more so which is more exciting like in the mainstream uh it's just a way of making these experiences more prominent um and creating awareness um i think on like the other side of it um where we are singing about like those kind of issues but then also we have like really fun tracks like you said it's kind of like a mix of like 
when we when we were um, deciding the songs of the album, we like wrote out jokes and political and queer, so we have like an equal amount of content. <laughs> so, so um, but we believe it is like. A pretty much a political statement anyways to be like having fun be women on stage having fun and like this is something I thought before I joined Dream Nails is like growing up listening to Blink-182 and Green Day and you see all these like bands of all dudes having fun and you're like why so why do like the bands of all women have to be angry all the time mm. like we want to have fun too mm-hmm. so and we have a lot to be angry about yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very justifiable anger but I think that you know in a way, the songs that are about not getting texted back or the, the sillier songs are just as political because silliness is political mm-hmm. when it's coming from four women on stage. I mean, like, just thinking about, you know, when we're in public together or when we're at venues, so often people are really threatened, isn't it, Mimi, by the fact that the four of us are just, like, having fun and, like, having jokes and laughing like that seems to much more threatening than being angry because anger is something that, that men can understand and they can just kind of disregard in the same breath but being silly and having fun they just they just kind of malfunction a little bit both those things joy and anger are a means of if you can express both those aspects of a character it, it's a means of countering fear in a way and mm. That seems mm-hmm. to come through your work a lot, you know. So when people are perhaps chanting along with you, like at the end of a DIY song, which I particularly love, you know, you are good mm-hmm. enough, you're strong enough, you're smart enough. It sounds like really, on the one hand, it might sound really twee and kitsch, but actually, you, because you sing that over and over, it's almost like a mantra. It's, it's almost like pe- inviting people to say, claim this these words because they are truth. Mm-hmm. Have them and they're yours. And I, I find that... I find that really moving, Um, you know. That's really nice that you picked up on that because I think that Janie wrote those those affirmations and affirmations is something that we we use a lot, but that was directly from work that she was doing when she was working with survivors of domestic abuse. Um, And yeah, it's just, yeah, so, so simple in a way of counteracting fear and, and just, you know, having ownership over yourself and, you know, coming back to your understanding of your own autonomy. So, I mean, if we can instill that in people and make people feel like that, then we've we've done our job pretty well. I feel like a lot of people would leave your gigs changed a little bit which is the sign of like really good artistry oh thank oh, you thanks, <laughs> that's really do you, nice do you get um do you get a lot of pushback from people for what you're doing i'm not really i mean we just don't listen <laughs> <laughs> but i don't think we actually do get a lot of pushback we were not like we were nervous and a bit apprehensive you know because we've been doing this for years. This isn't new. Um, but, you know, since the album com- has come out and we have, you know, backing from labels now. And, well, we were, but we still will have a bit more of like a, hopefully a mainstream um, influence. We were anticipating something of a pushback. But I don't, I can't think of anything noticeable. But I genuinely just think it's because we don't care and we find it funny. Yeah, I think the one thing I can think of is when... 
what was it? Tom Morello posted about us or something to all his like Rage Against the Machine fans. And there was like, <laughs> there was guys being like, this is punk. Yeah, right. Or something like, <laughs> and I, we were just reading the comments laughing so much. Oh, that's the only thing I can think of. Honestly. That's so true. And I think maybe the only, and this isn't really pushback, but it is interesting. And it's something we think about a lot is the fact that people say you're not very punk you're not very punk and you know this might even be in reviews for the album or like a promoter of a show we're playing at when after we've played our show we just want to drink our sleepy tea and do a face mask and go to bed but that's because like everybody thinks about punk in such an outdated like such an outdated notion of it you know like punk I'm so empowered by what I I believe punk is but most people think of punk as just like throwing a TV out a window, destroying your body, like this really actually individualistic, um, anarchic, but kind of lame teenage approach to punk. Um, so I think maybe some of the hardcore old boys um, think that we're not very punk. But in, in my opinion, and in our opinion, it is the most punk thing you can do is care for yourself and care for your sisters and care for your community and make sure that you are healthy and ready and able to do that. Tell us a little bit more about the the punk philosophy, the, the way that you understand it, because I think that's really interesting. I think we should dig into that a bit, if that's okay, because a lot of yeah. people, as you say, just hear the word punk and they just think, you know, 1970s, Sid Vicious, um, it's a very blokey thing. It's a very mm -hmm. violent thing. Um, but I mean, I, I'm I'm not of that school, but I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about, you know, what the punk ethos philosophy means for you. I think like I just the reason I never listened to punk or engaged with it is because I, I that's what I thought it was. But actually, since being in a punk band, understanding a lot about punk history and the scene and the artist at the moment, it's a lot actually just about self-reliance, about having the confidence to feel like you can do things your own way even if it's not the way, for example, learning an instrument, understanding your instrument and playing music. Um, like music and punk is such a boys club in the sense that it's very gear focused, it's very technically focused. Um, you know, you can have all the technical skill and all the expensive gear in the world and your music can still suck. So it's just about having the confidence um, to have something to say uh, that contributes to somehow like a wider understanding of society and not being about you and about your music. It's very much so about the we. Like for me, punk is about the you and I. And at a punk show, it's about us creating, you know, this, the fun that's happening and the music and the excitement and the life that's happening in this space together. For me, that's what punk is. And what are we going to do with that energy when we go home and when we wake up in the morning? What are we going to do with this feeling that we have? How are we going to try and change the world with it? So yeah, that's, to me, that's what punk is. Yeah, we're really, like, we really follow the, like, DIY ethos as well, which I think is the punkest thing you can do, do things yourself. You know, we do that, like, in our own, like, individual lives, but also, like, how we run the band. Like, we are self-managed, even though we, ha we are signed to labels, like, we are all doing so much work behind the scenes and, um like equally distributing the labor and stuff like that and like making sure all the decisions are made by everyone everyone agrees and like just kind of like yeah taking that DIY and applying it to everything we, we do 
and about yeah just the, the punk the collective and yeah. you know kit sharing sharing knowledge sharing contacts just yeah be, being actively involved in a community um yeah that is that's what we do <laughs> and it seems like that ethos as you were just talking about kind of goes into every part of how you manage the band and how also you probably just go about everyday life as well and and sometimes that can be hard like how do you we we ask the artists and activists that we talk to a lot how do you stop yourself from burning out how do you stop yourself from getting so absorbed by what you're experiencing in the world or seeing in the world how do you look after yourself through that i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) i literally signed up to a how to avoid burnout class but i was too busy to attend it (laughs) baby are you serious did you actually do that yeah that's jokes I think oh my god no it's true I don't know I mean we all as well have pretty um pretty demanding day jobs and I guess I mean it's kind of what we all know it's self-care I mean it's it's become overused and it's become a trope self-care I mean and self-care is more is more than just bubble baths even though bubble baths are amazing Um, I think it's basically just an an awareness that you can't do everything and you can't solve all the problems of the world. And, you know, knowing what you can and can't do and knowing what you know and owning what you don't know. I mean, I'm not I just I'm just thinking about this in terms of my job (laughs) because I work I'm an advice worker for refugees and asylum seekers. So I'm like already trying to struggle with with burnout and not overworking myself there as well. But it's just about knowing that you can't do do everything. You can offer so much as an individual in your whatever you do in your activism, in your job, in your artistry, but you can't do everything. And especially with the bands, just not just having no ego and not taking it too seriously. Um, if people like and respond to the music that we're making, um, then that's great. But also we're putting something out there for other people to enjoy. Um, and yeah, we we can't take everything on. We've got to have boundaries. I think that's how you avoid burnout. <laughs> yeah, setting boundaries, which I don't know, sometimes we probably overstep. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's hard. We all struggle it's with hard. it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so um, Lucy, when we started talking just now before we pressed record, um, you were Mm -hmm. reminding me of a phone call that you and I had quite a few years ago before you first came to Greenbelt. And Catherine and I were really anxious about your use of the word witches. So not only do you describe yourself... Uh, as punk you also describe you know that the word witches together with punk is really important in terms of the way that you you put yourselves out there and you characterize who who you are and what you're doing and Mm -hmm. um because greenbelt is coming out of a tradition uh like a progressive christian tradition we were a little Mm -hmm. bit anxious about how some of our audience might perceive that word um if they didn't Mm -hmm. know perhaps i don't know they might have a particular interpretation of the word witches what does what does the word witches, the tradition, the idea mean for you? And why is it important for you to use that, that word and that tradition? Well, when I think of witch, I literally think of someone who like forages 
berries and makes their own jam or like has herbs or makes like an altar with like a colored candle and you know does like a full moon ritual or something I don't think of someone who's like I think of someone who's kind of like a woman who's in tune with the world around her or the universe around her and trying to be in tune with nature and herself that that's that's my like interpretation of a witch yeah exactly and just also being in tune and being understanding with there's things that can't be controlled um and i think i don't know we could have a whole podcast on witches <laughs> of course <laughs> that's serious three <laughs> i'm down um but just you know witches that were historically so threatening to the status quo you know the patriarchal order um and i think this kind i wanted to mention witches but i didn't know where we stood on witches but when we were talking about being silly and having jokes on stage like to me that's that's witchcraft that's being you know threatening because it's something that men see that they feel that they can't control um so i think as well which witches and witchcraft like me what mimi was saying it's a lot of like you know, using understanding nature, using herbs, using herbal medicine, you know, things that don't fit in to, you know, for example, example, our understanding of pharmaceuticals, it being like disregarded as witchcraft. Um, so I think why we use that term so proudly is it's about trying to give female knowledge and female experience some prominence and some credibility as well. Um, again which is a term that's maybe become a little bit overused but i think it's just about women trying to center their own experience of the world um and you know their own perhaps innate relationship to nature and to the changeability of the world and to things that uh men don't understand <laughs> i think at the time as well you also said it's like the one returning character through history which doesn't get their power from men Mm. which i love yeah and you said that yeah that's good yeah that's, <laughs> that's really good it's it's it, it was i remember that conversation and greenbelt is so open and we push the boundaries for everything but just to give you a bit of history the one time that that something happened i think at greenbelt in the 80s i don't know whether you were around paul I'm afraid i was it was the 90s <laughs> It was we the should 90s. have known better. <laughs> Greenbelt invited, <laughs> Greenbelt invited a, a, I think it was a white witch to the festival. And this controversy about what happened at, at, on the festival site, I think it got a lot of people worried, confused. And that story has keeps getting told through Greenbelt's history. And it's just like, it's the one time that like, I've we've, I've known Greenbelt to have a problem about something or to not be open about something is that one story about a witch in the 90s and so when when that was in your description we all went oh no <laughs> 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 is this gonna happen again and when we brought you on site absolutely fine I mean we even let you take over one of our venues and you called it like a witch punk takeover and I think we just didn't give our audience enough credit, really. But it's just 
the story that we all hear as a staff team about what happened in the 90s. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, I understand that you, you, you're threatened by something you don't know and you don't understand. But um, I do just, I do love how afraid you were of us, <laughs> of little old us. <laughs> what did you think we were going to do? <laughs> yeah, I, I just, that's really so true. I just don't know what people are afraid of because... That, that incident back in the 90s, that was just all part of a really sensible adult conversation that was about a largely Christian constituency understanding more about the pagan and the Wiccan traditions and rituals and spirituality mm-hmm. that it was, you know, endemic and part of this country way, way, way before um, Christianity came here. So yeah, that, that was all yeah, it was about. Should. And yet, you know, what it did was it got like a whole bunch of really riled up, very, very fundamental um christian people largely sort of youth group leaders and their poor young people who didn't know any better are sort of marching around a tent singing christian choruses at the top of their voices <laughs> to try and banish the like the evil that was within and but it's gone like Catherine said it's gone down in like greenbelt folklore and uh, hilarious. i think we're in, a, we're in a, a very different space now um thank you for understanding because uh, Catherine said we really need to ask them about the word witches and I thought, and I'm not doing it. And I'm not doing it. <laughs> and, and I think my take, my take was, Catherine. No, I don't think we do. You know, our mantra is: if we invite anyone, we just invite them. They come, yeah. and they are exactly who they are. We don't say, mm-hmm. "Come to Greenbelt." Oh, by the way, could you be a bit different at Greenbelt because of X, <laughs> Y, and Z? Um, so I had that conversation so sheepishly and sort of slightly reluctantly with you, but you were so so gracious and understanding. Uh, I'll never forget it. It was very kind of you. Oh. Of course, of course. I mean, you know, and hopefully as well, we've opened up your audience and your <laughs> your attendees' minds a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah, you you are the ending to that story. Now that story can never be told again because, <laughs> yeah. like, you've you've broken that ritual. You've broken the spell. <laughs> I love it. You've I love it. We literally bro- we don't just cast spells, you know. We break them too. <laughs> So how was it for you first being invited to Greenbelt, coming to Greenbelt? What was that like for you? Oh, we loved Greenbelt so much. Like, yeah, I remember the first year we came, I think we were nervous um, because we didn't know if we should play one of our songs called Vagina Police, where basically we were um, selling that song and all funds were going to abortion support network and we were just unsure oh should we play this or not we did it anyways and we just like received nothing but support and love from everyone at greenbelt opportunity to do that takeover and yeah it was it was we love Greenbelt so much everyone there is amazing it was just it was so well organized I mean I know that talking about logistics on a podcast isn't very glamorous but ultimately it's incredibly well organized (laughs) (laughs) which we really appreciated I mean I did I had no idea what to expect I'd never heard of the festival I wasn't trepidated actually we didn't even know that it was originally you know faith-based and a Christian had Christian origins not that that's what we were anxious about we didn't we just didn't know what to expect 
or you know what people would be like but I think something very very telling happened when we played the second time when we did our takeover um, and we also did a zine workshop where uh, we sat with a group and we made these little handmade zines on a variety of random topics um, you know cutting out magazines just yeah it was just a fun activity and there was somebody who attended um, it was a non-binary person who was a priest and they bought and again this this kind of relates to the witch story they bought one of our patches um that says hex the patriarchy hex obviously quite a, <laughs> a pagan word and they said that they were going to sew it on the inside of their i don't know what it is that that because or priests wear their robes and for me that was just so the the best thing i've heard i tell that all the time that story and for me that sums up greenbelt and just the attitude <laughs> and the openness and um yeah just the the light-heartedness of everybody there and the way that people who do have faith that like, approach their faith which is perfect i love that story yeah it goes yeah. up there with the story somebody took a picture of a nun walking off with a hoodie that said everyone can be pussy riot that goes <laughs> oh, right amazing. there with that story <laughs> yeah okay. yeah only at greenbelt um, only agree about. talking of that song vagina police and your support for um the, the abortion network um can we ask a little bit about that because i know you know when we offered you a fee for doing this podcast you said yeah but we what well, we'll donate it we, we it's not for us we'll donate it why why is the work of that network so important to you yeah, abortion support network um basically provides funds for those who can't get an abortion, a safe and legal abortion in their country to travel to get a safe and legal abortion. And yeah, that, that's just really important to us. It's women's reproductive rights. It's their rights. And like right now we are um, just devastated by the news that came from Poland, um, basically banning all abortions in any case. Um, and we have always donated proceeds from Vagina Police to Abortion Support Network, but we just re-released um, the new version uh, with like a very limited amount of vinyl um, to go to them as well. So we just thought we need to, yeah, we need to continue. We need to donate a bit more. This is really yeah. important to us. I think as well, like they're they're the sort of organisation that we. Um, identify with the most you know they're a very small organization that are doing frontline work they're actually doing the work it's not glamorous it's not fun it doesn't get a lot of press they're they're dealing with women and they're helping with women they're working on the ground um, they receive no funding no obviously no state support no charities do really um, but I think it's just really it's really important for us to align ourselves with organizations who are doing the work and this is where change is enacted and where things are progressed so i mean an another example is that we're um we're about to release a christmas song and we are uh all the proceeds from the from the digital downloads are going to the outside project which works with lgbtq uh homeless youth um it, they provide hostel accommodation um and i think other support services and outreach again another organization that's really small we know very well some someone that's involved in the organization of it um but yeah this is who needs our support and who needs 
um, who needs a platform. There, there are kind of people. It's weird how there are like a, talking to other people on this podcast. There are a few things that that happen when I guess when people are trying to grab power in politics and the rights that are normally harmed are rights of LGBTQ plus communities, women's rights, reproduction rights. They always just get brought back into question or start to be tampered with. And it seems like this never ending roller coaster with those kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this is we've had this even with vagina police because we, you know, we want even when before we released it the first time round, we were like, oh, we'll just wait because we know that there'll be something that's going to happen, especially in Trump's America, that, you know, means that this will be very timely and means that people will want to hear this. You know, unfortunately, we just know that these issues are always, you know, regardless of how much progress is made in so many industries and spheres, these these things are always going to be timely, unfortunately, which is, you know, when we're always going to write about them and make music and sing about them. Talking of um, Trump's America, how are you feeling about... <laughs> Sorry for bringing that up. <laughs> how are you feeling about the, the news? Uh, I mean, obviously, obviously ecstatic that he's gone. Um, honestly, I've not been too focused on it. Um, I'm very very happy and very very amused about the the four seasons landscaping incident as as are we all yes. funniest thing funniest thing that i've heard all year i can't stop laughing about it you could not make it up you couldn't make up anything that good if you tried for a million years <laughs> yeah i can't stop thinking about it either yeah um, i literally can't stop thinking about it <laughs> how do you two feel what's your what's your hot take on this Oh, yeah. I mean, I think hugely relieved. Um, I think we were talking about it the other day, weren't we, Catherine? It feels like there's an awful lot of work and healing to do. Um, I'm so glad he only got four years because I think hopefully, hopefully, hopefully in the future we can look back and see it as an aberration rather than some form of signal of a new direction in the world, which was what was deeply mm. troubling. And I think, Catherine, you were saying, weren't you, Catherine, that while he's been in power there are all sorts of strong men around the world have come to power in brazil turkey all over the place which i guess that's the concern that a tone has been set that that might not go away all that quickly we still need to remember that like 70 million people voted for him anyways um and more people voted this time than did yeah previously as well that's true i think um a lot of the work that happened to like get trump out of office was definitely by like small like communities like black communities like stacey abrams in georgia and like the the black communities of pennsylvania and it's like we owe it to them for like like stacey abrams for i forget how many people she like got registered to vote but it was like the tipping point basically all these people who weren't voting who were just kind of like probably like fuck it but I'm going to get the, the, sorry, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> They're probably like, I just get in the shit end of the sick all the time. There's no reason for me to vote. So we need people like that to actually like work with their communities and get them to vote. The state of, of America is so important to the rest of the world. They've got like military bases all over the world. It affects all of us. So yeah, I'm still worried, but I, I'm, I just allowed myself to be hopeful for these past few days. 
what's what's the title of your song where you talk about rubbing sriracha on your balls um because <laughs> when i was listening to that earlier on it made me think of donald trump i don't know if that is uh, in your minds in that song but yeah will that have a different oh, sort of flavor when you sing it flavor that's an unfortunate absolutely word. no <laughs> when you do it in future. Well, the- it's funny that you said it. So that song's called Deep Heat. Yeah, Deep Heat. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and it's about sriracha and and Deep Heat, unfortunately, finding their way to certain genitalia and and the agony that ensues. But actually, when we when we perform that song, um, we have historically dedicated it as a hex to Donald Trump. So actually, and <laughs> this was a, a joke we had this week that the hex work. <laughs> But then the hex didn't work. As Mimi was saying, what worked was tireless, thankless work by grassroots organisations and communities. But also the hex worked. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to hex you up. Witches hex you up. We're going to hex you up. Dream nails, we're going to hex you up. So how how can Green Belters follow you and support your work? Um, how can they get the new album? How can they look out for this Christmas live stream that you're doing? It all sounds really exciting. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what's next for Dream Nails? How we can get in? How we can get behind it and get into it? Well, we have our next live stream called Feminismus on December sixth. Um, as of this moment, there's still about like ten gig in the boxes you can buy which have very special Christmassy themed things, things designed by Jeannie Espinosa, who's the woman who does all of our like album and single illustrations. Um, but if you miss out on that, we're still selling tickets to the live stream gig and we will be in the chat box talking to everyone. So we hope people are into that and want to join that. On our social media channels, I think is where you'll find all the information um you can buy our album in vinyl in cd you can download it you can go on our band camp you can use spotify even though spotify is not not the best friend of uh, <laughs> musicians um, but what's next next for us well we'll be touring next year we'll be writing another album we have a christmas song coming out um which is very very exciting it's come out very christmasy <laughs> and, again, and again like i even i played it to my dad he was like it's not very punk and i'm like dad don't make me give you this lecture again <laughs> google dream nails punk band not just dream nails otherwise you'll find a million nail salons all over the world <laughs> And your album, if people do purchase it, it does actually have a secret little track on that you can't listen to on Spotify, doesn't it? It does. On the physical copy, there is a secret hidden track. (laughs) I say no more. Our lips are sealed, aren't they, Mimi? (laughs) Well, thank you so much for giving us some of your time, some of your evening to sit here and just talk to us. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. It was so nice to talk to you both. And we cannot wait to see you again. In a field, yeah. hopefully a green dot field at yeah. some point. Yeah. We love the little big top and the Jesus arms. We've got yeah. a new stage actually next year. It's called the Rebel Rouser stage. Oh, cool. And it's going to be in the woods. Perfect for a bit of witchcraft. Yeah, it's <laughs> Absolutely <pagan>. perfect. <laughs> yeah, very pagan. Look forward to it. that was dream nails 
I love Dream Nails. <laughs> they are now my favourite band. <laughs> And you were a bit, you were a bit apprehensive about having the conversation. I knew this, this was a conversation that I think has made you more nervous before you actually had it, didn't you, Paul? Why was that? Well, it's a little bit difficult to unpack. I've been thinking about this, Catherine, because I knew you were going to ask me that question. <laughs> I was nervous because um, I guess I was worried I'd feel out of my depth. Um, a little bit like what Testament was saying last week on the podcast. You know, I like to think of myself as a relatively woke bloke. Um, but, you know, what do I know? I'm old. Um, I've only got boys. I don't know what it's like to parent girls and all those sort of issues. I was, I guess I was just a bit anxious that I put my foot in it, that I wouldn't be woke enough. Mm -hmm. um, and can I be really honest here? As well, sometimes at Greenbelt, when our work has pushed us in the direction of really reaching out to and trying to listen to and understand and include various agendas and various people and various groups that we, we don't know very much about or that we need to learn more about, sometimes that, that's been very difficult. Sometimes that has been met with understandable sort of suspicion and pushback and sort of like, what do you what what does it mean to you? What do you know? This is yeah. my experience. And I found that quite difficult, understandable, but quite difficult. And I thought, oh, with Dream Nails, is it gonna be this is it gonna be the same? I'm gonna try and push into their 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 art and their agendas and their issues and their movement, and I'm just gonna be perceived by this bungling, just sort of like well meaning but idiot bloke. Um and they made me feel completely included and welcome in the conversation in a way that I found yeah I won't overstate it but it, that's why I particularly love this conversation is because I so admire what they're doing and they they included me in that so much I loved it yeah and actually I never thought about that but you are the one that faces whenever we have any kind of criticism at Greenbelt and all of our intentions are well-meaning but whenever you try and do something that's pushing boundaries or trying to include communities that are more marginalized like sometimes you you deal with people that have things to say and you are always the person that has to have those conversations I'm not so I can understand how that could make you cautious or a little bit frightened to delve into things that aren't your lived experience yeah and don't get me wrong it's not like a i'm not here going oh poor me um <laughs> and it's 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 part of the privilege of my the work that we do at greenbelt and it's also part of my privilege you know i am incredibly privileged and sometimes um, it's just that, yeah, it's not just that we face criticism at Greenbelt for what we do. We also have faced real pushback and criticism, even from people or groups that we would seek to represent more and include more within the festival, because these groups are hurting. They mm. are abused. These people are hurting and marginalised. And, you know, they, they've had enough. Dream Nails, absolutely fabulous. What 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 were your what were some of your main takeouts, Catherine? I really like their idea of what punk is, their notion of what punk is, because I think that that is it's brilliant. It's it's saying that 
you know, my 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 thoughts about punk were that it was like a very male dominated, very like sticky up hair and safety pins in your neck and causing riots, drinking beer and smashing windows. <laughs> but it's <laughs> but it's but it's not. Like what is punk is to is about this like creating a collective making a movement creating a space that is like like busting apart those kind of ideas of what things can be like yeah i loved that yeah i love that too particularly that the aspect of that diy the importance of diy just get on and make it yourself do it yourself um i, I love that whole that whole aspect uh, that was coming through in their work and in the way that they read the punk ethos it made me think actually that in a way you know i would argue that the way i think of christianity is fairly punk and the way i think about the festival that we make you could say that the festival that we make follows in that sort of that punk ethos i have always said that green bell is punk you I've, have like from the very beginning i've thought that green bell was very punk in the way that it did stuff yeah, it's because it sort of sits outside the mainstream. It does its own thing. It's very community-led, uh, and the way that we make the festival is through a, a you know a huge community, like a movement of people. Uh, all of these sort of things um, connect. And there's a lot of tea that is drunk. Yeah, <laughs> the, the tiny tea tent. <laughs> there was a phrase that I think um, Mimi said that she said, "It's about the we. What are we going to do with this energy when we go home? What are we going to? How are we going to use?" this energy to change the world and that is a brilliant description of what we try and do at Greenbelt be in the space have a great time learn about stuff dance you know until you can't dance but then what are you going to do with that energy when you walk away it's not just about those four days in the field we're trying to create something that has a lasting effect when you leave those gates if anyone wants to dig into the whole sort of like punk idea, we do have a recorded talk in our talks archive when Don Letts came to the festival in 2011. And we had a really interesting panel conversation about how he read the punk legacy and, and its DIY ethos in particular. Something I wanted to ask you about, Catherine, and if I if I come across as really blokey here, then I apologize. But for me, going to live gigs most of my life has been pretty much a good experience, apart from the fact that I've learnt through great expense that I don't like stadium gigs, that I like smaller <laughs> gigs better. That's all, you know, that's been my own, that's been the extent of my agony and my learning. But how about for you as a woman going to gigs? Because I was pretty shocked to hear you talking with Dream Nails about what that experience is like. It's weird because when you normalise a situation, like you just put up with it. So if you were to ask me like a couple of years ago, pre-Dream Nails taking over our festival, um, our venue, uh, venue at our festival, I would have said, yeah, I love going to gigs and gigs are great. And then as soon as you just start to like put a magnifying glass over your experiences, you go, well, no, they, 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 they definitely could be better. Like, I love gigs. I love being down the front of gigs. But my experience of being down the front of gigs is to be, have no view, to be pushed and shoved, to be like, to get hurt, to feel a little bit afraid of my surroundings and to get groped, get touched, unless I'm with like a group of men around me. Um, and 
yeah, that's just a normalised experience. I found it really sad to to hear you guys talking uh, about that with one another. Again, it made me think a little bit of what what Testament said to us last week about the fact that for for women, that's just like this wallpaper. That's what you live with. <laughs> um, uh, but what about? I loved it when you said that when you first saw that Dream Nails uh, gig and that experience, women and non-binary people to the front, when you first saw that, you, you talked about it as like almost like a light bulb moment. Of, you thought, oh, my word, gigs could be like this. What did that feel like? I don't think I can ever really tell you what that was like um, because I love live music and suddenly I saw a gig setting that I that looked exactly how I would want a gig setting to look like. And I've never been faced with that before. So it was just like an aha moment. It was like, it was, it was it kind of brought me to tears. I remember going and fetching people and going, come and have a look at this. Because there was just like, there was lots of women at the front dancing together with space. Nobody was pushing into them. Nobody was trying to fight against them. No one was towering over at them. They were smiling. They could see. They could engage with this music. It was just, yeah, it was it was brilliant. I wish that all gigs were like that. But I love the way they're disrupting that that space, aren't they? You know, I think you, know, you were saying that, you know, before Dream Nails, you just assumed that's the way gigs were and had to be in a way. But they've shown you... Uh, they've shown all of us that it can be different and it yeah. should be different. And they make you see that who made the rules for that space. And it makes you think about who makes the rules for a lot of spaces. Like who made the rules that that's what a gig was going to be like. It was probably men. I would say with, you know, 99.9% certainty that those gig spaces were made and designed by male audience members. What other spaces were designed by men? How How can we... What other spaces don't suit us? I think it's it's telling that we're talking about the conversation that we've just had and we're looking at each other on screen on this platform that we use and we're smiling and we're laughing. And that for me was something really important that came out from Mimi and Lucy Mm. is that they seemed really full of joy and that sounds like an old-fashioned word but I use it deliberately they seem really joyful people and I love that about them as well it's interesting when they said that just for women on stage having fun is a political act and I think that's that's another reason why I felt so drawn into this conversation and included in it and blessed by it is that there was a real joy there I didn't uh, and like Lucy said at one point, there's a lot for them to be angry about. There's a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there is a lot for women to be angry about. And in their music, don't get me wrong, you know, there are lines where they say, we are coming to get you. Um, we They want to confront in no uncertain terms injustice where they yeah. see it. And, you know, it's pretty blunt. But at the same time, it has this has this lightness of touch and this joy about it which makes it feel all the more powerful if i'm honest well because it feels like they're saying you haven't won like you you haven't stopped us from having a joyful life and that's really important when anybody is facing oppression like we we've we've been to palestine a few times and we've been to the refugee camp in bethlehem where their resistance is around creative resistance and of course like you have to um, 
protest and act against social injustices, but also just by carrying on being creative and carrying on having a joyful life is an act of resistance, is an act of resisting oppression. Uh, their, their joy for me felt, you know, incredibly uplifting and inspiring. Um, an example to us all not to not to get too sort of trapped into being just oh so worthy and oh so serious about all that we think is important um to remember that we can still laugh smile and joke together i think yeah we have to that's what we can carry on doing that's that's what we can still own you know no one can take that away and i think that those places of joy um are so important in our society and i think that you know in making a festival in a way what you're what you're doing when you make a festival is you're opening up a space of joy within within people's lives within society you didn't mention this in the podcast but you were talking to me beforehand about how you saw like some of their lyrics some of their music and some of their affirmations almost to be like prayer i i really did and I, I I like particularly their repetition of some of their phrases. And I can imagine that the space that they create with women and non-binary people at the front being being asked to join in and um, recite those phrases. I am enough. I am clever enough. I am good enough. Um, for instance, I can imagine that would be a really powerful thing, um, something that you would perhaps normally expect in a in a religious setting where you're encouraging people to believe a certain thing and to feel empowered by that so that they can then go out and live a better, a more loving and a generous life. That's the sort of thing I was imagining that some of their songs could do. I'm talking as an old white bloke here, but it was making me feel empowered. So what must it be doing for you know the demographic which who who are particularly in their hearts and minds when they're writing that stuff i would love i'm almost like itching to be in a gig with them just shouting and repeating at the top of my lungs i'm good enough i'm strong enough like that would feel amazing I love the idea that they're doing these gig in a box packs that you can get for their live stream. Um, and that Mimi has spent so long in particular developing what it might, f- it, it, that the feel and the smell and the, uh, on, and the look of that, a sticky floor tile from a live music venue that you get in the pack. I love that. What do you think if we were going to do a green belt in a box, what do you think that we would include? Wow, that is a really good question because I think that green belt means a whole load of different things to different people for different reasons. Um, I guess it would probably include a mug with a tea bag in to sort of evoke the tiny tea tent type of aspect or vibe, possibly. Yeah, a plastic mug with some um, room temperature wine in. Uh, uh, one of those mugs that we've done in recent years that you can use again and again, of course, not yeah. just a disposable plastic mug. Yeah. Um, um, patch of grass patch of grass yeah uh wristband a sort of a dog-eared um disheveled wristband that just about still get, went around your wrist and wrist and stayed on yeah how about the smell of like a chemical toilet <laughs> yeah sort of a scratch and sniff type little patch that, that just gave you a quick waft <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah 
And what about your favourite? What what particular food smell would you would you have in there that's really evocative of of green belt? I don't know. I very I very rarely eat at the food vendors because we we get fed backstage with whatever they've got. But um, so I don't know when it comes to food. Probably an ice cream. I always have an ice cream. <laughs> that's, that's very rock and roll and festivaly. <laughs> Sometimes you need it. <laughs> So we'd like to hear your ideas on if Greenbelt was going to do like a festival in a box, what should we include? What would be the absolute essential in items in our Greenbelt festival in a box? Paul, who have we got on next week's podcast? Next week, we are going to be talking to the Canadian singer-songwriter Ben Kaplan. Another wonderful conversation. It's really reminded me about the artists that we bring to Greenbelt and why we pick them, why we choose them, why they're great. Yeah, Ben's conversation is just so deep, uh, but accessible and warm, engaging. So wise, so clever. He's read, He's clearly read a load of stuff and... Yeah. Uh, trying to reflect that in his living and his work and his artistry but we had a fantastic conversation with him it was um, can't wait for you to hear it we're nearing the end of series two of the somewhere to believe in podcast i know we can't believe it either but it'll be christmas soon and we need a break a little lie down but we'd love to know what you make of the podcast and you can email us at stbi at greenbelt.org.uk uh you can leave reviews as long as they're nice ones of course on uh, <laughs> your podcast platforms of choice and uh, on social media we are at greenbelt on twitter and at greenbelt festival on facebook and instagram Also, look out for our Made in Palestine Christmas content, which has begun now. We did uh, A Taste of Palestine just before this podcast was released. And we've got The Rising with Martin Joseph and Raja Nahaz coming up. And then we've got our last podcast after Ben Kaplan. You can hear from Rafi Fiziada, the Palestinian poet, in um, our last episode of this current series. So thank you very much to Mimi and Lucy from Dream Nails for giving us some time to chat to us about their music and their lives. And thank you to everybody else who helps us make this podcast, to Daisy Ware Jarrett and Paul Truman on the staff team, and also to Josh and Jake on the Recorded Talks team who um, help us make this podcast sound pretty good. Thank you. And of course, we had that conversation with them about the whole witch thing, didn't we? We yeah. finally broke the spell. <laughs> I've also read, Paul, that, you know, whenever I look at old press clippings of Greenbelt or, or whatever, I always come across this one article that is about, I think it was in The Guardian or something, that was about that year. And not only was there an incident with, it was called The Year of the Witch and the Willies, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what else happened? <laughs> The, the, yeah, yeah. It's, it's good alliteration. It's good publicity. It was also true. <laughs> and that year, there was um, some painting that featured full male frontal nudity, um, which again, raised a lot of eyebrows um, within a green belt setting. So I think you put that together with the witch. You've got another W, you've got willies, you've got witches. Um, you know, what more do you need? <laughs> we were going to hell in a handcart. <laughs>